Shalom and blessings. This is Pastor Clifton McDowell Sr. here at the Church of God of East New York, located in the heart of Brooklyn. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray this week's sermon blesses and encourages you for the journey. God bless. Now enjoy the sermon. We celebrate our men today. This weekend is Men's Day, Men's Weekend, and we celebrate them. They had a wonderful conference yesterday. Our, our minister, Mark Atkinson, brought a tremendous and anointed word, and a great discussion followed thereafter. And so we thank God for them. Thank God for our men's ministry leadership team. Pray that the Lord will ever bless them and keep them and guide and direct them. Their theme for this weekend is a call to serve in a season of crisis. A call to serve in a season of crisis. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, I want to read um, from the beginning at the first verse. And it says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, Gentiles were all people, everybody that was not Jewish, Asian, African, Caucasian, Hispanic, etc. All peoples that were not Jewish. He says, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly in reading this then. You will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit, amen, to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, you and I, are heirs together, amen, are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Oh, glory to God. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the body of Christ, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him through faith, in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And then he, asks, I, then he says, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Let's stop right there. We'll come back to that. But our, um, our theme, a call to serve in a season of crisis. As believers, as believers, we are all called to serve. 
We serve God's purposes where he places us. We serve others hoping that the love of Christ will be seen and that they might be drawn to Christ. There is a call, there is a call upon your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. Whether you are male or female, young or old, married or single, if you have committed your life to Christ, then you have also committed yourself to Christian service within and outside the body of Christ. In this congregation, uh, we, we consider ourselves a four-season congregation. And so we see ourselves, amen, in our lives that each of us is in a season of life. Some of us are in the spring of our lives. Others are in the summer of their lives. Then there are others in the autumn of their lives. And then there are those that are in the winter of their lives. No matter what season we are in, we are called to serve. It's not God's will for those that are in the early spring of their lives to say, well, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait till I get in my summer to serve the Lord. No. Nor is it God's will for those that are in the winter of their lives to say, I'm done, I'm through serving God. Let those in an earlier season who are younger and stronger serve. No, in the kingdom of God, there is a place for you and I to serve. It might not be within the fall walls of a church building. It might be in your community. It might be in the school. It might be in your home. It might be in a hospital or a senior citizen community center. It may be in a child care facility or a social agency. But as a follower of Christ in the kingdom of God, Amen. There is a place for you to serve in every season of your life until the Lord calls you home. Each of us, amen, is in a season. There's a season for cultivating and planting. There's a season for fertilizing and growing. Amen. There's a season for gathering and reaping. There's a season for preparation and preservation for the next season. Every season of your life, there is a calling on your life. In each season, there's an early and a late part of the season. Early spring and late spring. Early summer and late summer. Early autumn and late autumn. Early winter and late winter. Which means... How you serve, which will determine how you serve. That means that you might serve God differently in late summer than you would serve him in early summer. In late summer, you might find yourself overlapping into order, into, into autumn activities, gathering and harvesting. Some people get married in the spring. Some people get married in the summer. Some people get married in the autumn and some, yes, some people get married in the winter and some people don't get married through all the seasons of their lives and it's okay. 
It's okay. As long as we're serving the purposes of God throughout all the seasons of our lives, no matter what the season that you're in, you need to understand that at some point, you're going to find yourself dealing with a crisis. Some part of your season, amen, we don't know when, we don't know where, we don't know how, but I guarantee you, in every season of your life, you're going to find yourself dealing with a crisis around you or in your own life. Not many people like a crisis. However, there are those people who live for a crisis. That's right. There are those people who live for a crisis, and if they go too long without a crisis, they'll create one. Sometimes they will generate a, generate a crisis to get attention. They want attention. Sometimes they'll generate a crisis to be a hero or a savior in dealing with the crisis that they created. Preacher, what are you talking about? Yes, the arsonist can become the fireman. But somewhere in your life, you're going to deal with a crisis. And what I'm telling you, there's not a need to create a crisis. Just keep living. Into each of our lives, there will be a crisis coming at some time in that season that you're in. Crisis, crisis, what is a crisis? A crisis is a decisive point, a difficult or an unstable situation that involves some impending change. It's a turning point where things could go good or things could go bad where the situation can get worse before it gets better. It's not an emergency. A crisis is not an emergency. An emergency is a situation that poses a serious and immediate risk to health, life, or property, which often requires immediate, urgent intervention. So what makes a crisis? It has been said that in a situation, a situation that can wait 24 to 72 hours for a response without placing an individual, a family, or an organization in jeopardy, it is a crisis and not an emergency. Three basic elements of a crisis. It has a degree of stress. It has a degree of difficulty and it requires proper timing of intervention. There's a degree of stress, there's a degree of difficulty. It's gonna require proper timing for intervention. In the book of Esther, in the book of Esther, after she has become Queen Esther, and she is told by her uncle Mordecai about a plot by an administrator, a government official named Haman, that he's going to try to have all the Jews exterminated. That was a crisis. She had all of the Jews, she told Mordecai, tell all the Jews to fast 
for three days and three nights along with me and those that are with me. Because she needed to go see the king, and she had to go see the king without being summoned, which could have gotten her killed. Depending on the disposition or the attitude or the mood of the Persian king. But for the crisis which existed among her people, she said, I'm going to see the king. And if I perish, I perish. She entered into a personal, a personal crisis in response to a national crisis. It would take her another two days after the three days of fasting and praying. It would take her another two days to, to, um, um, to tell the king that her own life was at stake. It's a great read. You should go read it. Because you remember Mordecai told her, he said, don't think that you've come to the palace and think you're going to be safe and you're going to escape the slaughter. It could be that you have actually come to your position for such a time as this. It's a great read about courage and wisdom in the midst of a crisis. You remember Jesus before he went to Calvary for the sins of the world. He gathered his disciples together and he gathered them in an upper room and he washed their feet and he served them a meal knowing that one of them would betray him to the authorities. One of them would deny even knowing him three times and that they would all abandon him save John. Crisis. After the meal, he went into the garden to pray in the midst of his crisis and the stress was so, um, so heavy upon him that the Bible said his sweat came down as with blood mixed in. Crisis. And then Judas came into the garden and kissed him, betrayed him with a kiss. He allowed himself to be arrested. You hear me? He allowed himself to be arrested. He allowed himself to be beaten. He allowed himself to be humiliated and crucified. He allowed himself. Why do you say that? Because when Peter, a man, cut off the guard's ear, he, he told the Peter, put up your sword. He told his disciples, I could just call upon my father and tell him, ask him to send me 12 legions of angels. 72,000 angels would be at my beck and call. He allowed himself to be arrested. That's a crisis he was in. He went to the cross. He allowed himself, amen, a personal crisis because the world was in a crisis, dying in their sins, lost for eternity. And the book of Nehemiah, still, while Nehemiah was still in Babylon, Nehemiah, the king's cupbearer, the food taster, the wine taster, to make sure that nobody was trying to poison the king. You're going to have to get through Nehemiah before you get through the king with that plan. He gets a visit from some of his, amen, um, brother, brother, um, um, my brother, my brother, uh, Lord of mercy, would say the brethren. <laughs> Brethren, <laughs> the brethren, I get it right. 
Some of his brethren came from um, Jerusalem, and he inquires about the Jewish remnant who had survived the exile. He inquires and asks them about the city of Jerusalem, and this is their response in Nehemiah chapter 1. Amen. He says, in verse 3, those who survived the exile, he says, they said, are back in the province. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. The people are in dis trouble and disgrace. That's people in crisis. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. That's an infrastructure of a city in crisis. He said, when I heard these things, I sat down. And he says that I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He says, for days, for many days, I mourned and I fasted before the God of heaven. And then he prayed, Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant. He's praying before you day and night, night and day for your servants, the people of Israel. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family. It's amazing how we, we, we're, we wanna, we're quick to um, say, no, I didn't do it, somebody else do it. No, but if you're benefiting from the sins, of your forefathers, you need to confess your sins as well. You're part of it. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. He says, remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. And that's where they are. They've been scattered. Israel, Judah have been scattered. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are in the farthest horizon, he says, I will gather them from there and bring them, amen, to, bring them to, amen. I will bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. And then he says, give your servants success when? Today. After many days of fasting and praying and mourning, he says, now give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, this king. Give your servant success. What he's saying, because he's telling the Lord he's going to ask the king for permission to travel to Jerusalem. 
to ask the king for a leave of absence from his assignment, from his job, from his occupation to go to Jerusalem. Why? To build up the gates, to build up the walls, and to build up the people. King sent provisions with Nehemiah and the military sent with him. And he encountered, when Nehemiah gets there and begins to observe the work and begins to put things in motion, he encounters resistance from some of the local officials who were upset that someone had come to see about the well-being of the people. Nehemiah's concern, his very presence, and the work he was able to organize the people to do, it created crisis. They would have to work in the midst of crisis. They would have to be prepared to fight if necessary in the midst of a crisis. But every family and, the most, and most every group took part in the rebuilding rebuilding the walls and rebuilding the gates. They would do it in the sections near their home. It's a great read. You should read the whole book of Nehemiah about the impact that a leader can have, amen, on a community and a city in crisis when they're willing to give themselves fully to the tasks that are needed. And when you've got people and families and groups that are willing to do their part right where they are, Look around you. Look outside your window. Amen. There are serving opportunities right around you. You see, sometimes a crisis happens in an individual's life. Sickness, financial problems, educational problems. But sometimes in the life of a family, a crisis happens. A death, a, a, a housing problem. Sometimes it's an organization that faces a crisis, mismanagement perhaps. Sometimes it's a congregation, lack of leadership. Sometimes the crisis happens in a whole community. House care, health care or housing, unemployment. Sometimes it's a national crisis, gun violence, systemic racism. And every now and then, it's a world crisis, COVID. It's a crisis. And so my brothers and sisters, what do you do? What do you do when, when you're serving God and you, you've obediently answered the call of God for your life in your season and you find yourself in a season surrounding you, in the season surrounding you, you are in a season of crisis. What do you do when serving God? You encounter not just a crisis, but a season of crisis on your watch. What do you do when serving God, you encounter not just a man um, difficulty in your own heart, but your serving God produces a crisis, produces a season of crisis, Around you or in your life. When Paul writes this letter to the Ephesian church, he is in prison. He is in a Roman prison, amen, for his, his faith in Christ. He would eventually be executed. History said he would be beheaded. 
Paul's obedience has brought him to a season of crisis. And in the midst of his crisis, he wants to encourage the saints. Isn't that amazing? Do you know anybody? Have you ever known anyone that you went to see them in the midst of their crisis and they end up encouraging you? You, you went there to pray for them and you, when you left, you felt like, man, I should have asked them to pray for me. Crisis. Paul is in jail. Paul is in a season of crisis and yet he's writing to encourage the church. You see, a crisis is a turning point. It's a point of decision. It can either bring out the best in people or the worst. It has a way of showing up what's inside of a person, what a person is made of. Attitudes come out in a crisis, good and bad. Who am I talking to? People become more selfish or more selfless in a crisis. What do you do? I want to tell somebody what I believe Paul, amen, would tell you, amen, in a crisis. I believe he would say, remember. Remember. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember whose you are in Christ. Remember your calling in Christ. Remember, remember, remember you're not alone. You're part of a body. You're part of a community of faith. In Galatians 6, 9, Paul tells us, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, all people, whether they love Jesus or not, whether they believe in Christ or not, whether their lifestyle is unbiblical or not, all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 13, he tells us, and as for you, brothers and sisters, never, never tire of doing what is good. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, Paul tells us, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. Light, momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs, far exceeds all the trouble. And so he says, so we fix our eyes, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Paul would tell you, step up and step in to your call to serve. Find a place on the wall and serve and build. Find your place in a community. Find a place in the congregation. Find a place and meet the need in the life of a person, a family, or a group. He's in prison. 
He's in a crisis. And in verse 13, listen to what Paul tells them of Ephesians 3. He says, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my suffering, because of my crisis for you, which are your glory. He says, what I'm going through is for you. Amen. It's for your glory. And he says, and then Paul, Paul prays a prayer for them. Listen to what he prays. For this reason, he says in verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's in a crisis, and listen to what he's praying for you. He prayed this for the church. Embrace this for yourself. Embrace this for your family. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, not by yourself, but power together with all the Lord's holy people. To grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. To know this love that surpasses knowledge. That we may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do. Listen, God says he wants to fill you to the measure. Now, if you've got, you've got a, if you're standing by an ocean and you've only got a thimble, it doesn't matter how much water is in the ocean, you've only got a thimble. That's all you can have of the ocean. You're standing there and all you have is a cup. You can only have a cup of the ocean. If you're standing there and you got a barrel, you can get more, but the ocean is wide and the ocean is deep, and you can only have you only have the capacity for a barrel. But if you gave yourself fully, you would be filled to capacity. And that's what God is saying. God is saying, listen, don't just give me a thimble. Don't give me a cup. Don't give me a barrel of yourself. Give me all of you so I can fill you to capacity. Paul prays for them this. He says, listen, guys. He says, don't, get, don't lose heart. Don't get discouraged since my ministry, amen. It's my ministry that God has used to call you into the fellowship of the gospel. Don't faint. I'm asking you, don't be discouraged. Don't become disheartened. Don't lose your heart. Don't lose your courage because of the crisis that I'm going through. Don't faint. On account of my suffering or the suffering your, yourself might ha have to go through, which I'm engaged, so that what I'm engaged in may continue to be successfully carried on. Listen, we've got to carry on the fight. 
We've got to carry on, amen, the fight of faith. We've got to carry on, amen, um, letting our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify the Father. We've got to carry on being a city on a hill that cannot be hid. We've got to carry on the good news of salvation because everybody ought to know who Jesus is. We cannot allow ourselves become disheartened and lose courage and lose heart because of the current crisis that we find ourselves in. You see, sometimes God's way of administering his purpose in us and through us is through trouble, through crisis, through trial. I heard somebody say that sometimes it takes a mountain. Sometimes it takes a troubled sea. Sometimes it takes a desert to get a hold of me. But his love is so much stronger than whatever troubles me. But sometimes it takes a mountain to trust and believe. Remember, trouble does not mean defeat. Can you hear that? Will you, will you, will you accept that? Trouble does not mean defeat. And God does not abandon his children under duress. So don't throw in the towel. Tell yourself, no, I'm not throwing in the towel. Don't throw in the towel, amen, in the midst of a crisis, even if it's a season of crisis. Because if Christ was with you before the crisis, he's going to be with you in the crisis, and he's going to be with you after the crisis. What are you going to do? You're going to keep on keeping on. You're going to keep on serving. And you're not going to, don't waste a crisis. Because it's in the midst of a crisis that we often find ourselves growing. It's in the midst of a crisis that people actually come to know Christ. Don't waste an opportunity for growth. Don't waste it and hear this. I know you don't want to hear it. Don't run from it. Fix your eyes on Christ, on his word, and pray fast and seek the Lord for direction. Get godly counsel from people in other seasons of life. Because remember, it's a crisis. It's not an emergency. Take the time to make the right decision that honors the Lord, that builds up the body of Christ, and that shines the love of Christ on those around you. One last thing for my brothers and for my sisters. But Proverbs 17, 17b says, A brother is born for a time of adversity. Let a brother know you're in a crisis. Let a sister know I'm in a crisis. Let the brother walk with you. Let a sister walk with you. A mature, godly brother or sister. Let them walk with you. And then I say to you like Paul said to them, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, 
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, throughout all seasons, forever and ever. Amen. You're called. You have a servant's call on your life, even in a season of crisis. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads. Close your eyes. Perhaps somebody's been thinking about throwing in the towel. Don't do it. He's brought you too far. He's done too much. He loves you too much. Don't throw in the towel. He didn't throw in the towel for you. He didn't give up. And none of us has been in a crisis like our Lord. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on the prize. Fix your eyes. Let somebody know you're in a crisis. Be honest. God, I'm in a crisis. Since I'm in a crisis, you may not have to give them all the details, but tell them I'm going through a crisis right now. Pray for me. Brother, bruh, I'm in a crisis in my family. I need your prayers. I need your support. I need your encouragement. I need God's word. I need some direction. Because I want to keep on serving. I want to remember who I am and whose I am. I want to remember the call that's on my life. And I want to remember that I'm not alone. I'm part of a family. I'm part, amen, of a body. I'm part of a loving, faithful community. Perhaps there's someone here that's in the listening of my voice. You, you don't know Jesus. You, you, you don't really know the God that Esther knew and the God that Nehemiah knew. And, and, and then the God, the Father that Jesus said, I always do what my Father has commanded me to do. You don't know that God. You don't know the Christ. Good news, you can know him. He, said, he says, whoever calls on me, he says, I'll save you. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come unto me. If you, the Bible says, all have sinned, all have blown it, all have messed up. Come short of God's desire. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. He came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. But the only place to get life is in the Prince of Peace. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except you come through Him. But if you can just simply acknowledge, God, I, I admit that I have sinned, I have rebelled against you, I've gone my own way. I acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ. I believe that he died for my sins. I confess my sins and I commit my life to you for the rest of my days I'll follow you. The Bible said if you can believe that in your heart and confess that with your mouth, you will be saved. 
My prayer for you is that that would be what you would, that's what you would do today. Because without Christ, you're in a crisis. But Jesus is still the answer. He is still the answer. And he wants you to do life with him. And he wants to do life with you. God bless you today. Say yes to him. Say yes to his will and yes to his way. I trust and pray that you have been challenged and encouraged. Amen. You can let us know in the chat. Amen. What this message says to you. Maybe you're in a crisis. Maybe you've decided to turn your life over to Jesus. Let us know in the chat so we can pray for you. Amen. Send us a mail, an email. Call the church. Let us know what the Lord has said to you. Amen. Through this message. Amen. Remember. Remember. Remember who you are. Whose you are. Remember the calling on your life. And remember you're not alone. Not only is the Lord with you, but you're part of the body of Christ. Don't walk through a crisis alone. God bless you. That's my prayer for you. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, share it with your friends, and tag us in your social stories at C-O-G-E-N-Y. Thank you to those who have given generously to this ministry in the past. And if you'd like to become a contributor, head over to cog-eny.com. That's cog-eny.com. And just click on the offering and donations tab. Again, thank you so much. Now God bless.